Therese and German. You should have given him his liberty, cried Germaine Estaing. A woman doesn't kill her husband for wanting a divorce. Therese shook her head and answered, I did not kill him because he wanted a divorce. If he had really wanted it, he would have left me. And what could I have done? But your plans had changed, Germaine. Divorce was not enough for you, and it was something else that you would have obtained from him, another, much more serious thing, which you and your brother had insisted on, and to which he had consented out of cowardice, in spite of himself. What do you mean? spluttered Germaine. What, what other thing? My death. You lie, cried Madame Estaing. Therese did not raise her voice. She made not a movement of aversion or indignation, and simply repeated, My death, Germain. I have read your latest letters, six letters from you, which he was foolish enough to leave about in his pocketbook, and which I read last night. Six letters, in which the terrible word is not set down, but in which it appears between every line. I trembled as I read it. That Jacques should come to this. Nevertheless, the idea of stabbing him did not occur to me for a second. A woman like myself, Germaine, does not readily commit murder. If I lost my head, it was after that, and it was your fault. She turned her eyes to Renine as if to ask him if there was no danger in her speaking and revealing the truth. Don't be afraid, he said. I will be answerable for everything. She drew her hand across her forehead. The horrible scene was being reenacted within her and was torturing her. Germaine Astin did not move but stood with folded arms and anxious eyes, while Hortense Daniel sat distractedly awaiting the confession of the crime and the explanation of the unfathomable mystery. It was after that, and it was through your fault, Germain. I had put the pocketbook in the drawer where it was hidden, and I said nothing to Jacques this morning. I did not want to tell him what I knew. It was too horrible. All the same, I had to act quickly. Your letters announced your secret arrival today. I thought at first of running away, of, of taking the train. I had mechanically picked up that dagger to defend myself. But when Jacques and I went down to the beach, I was resigned. Yes, I had accepted death. I will die, I thought, and put an end to all this nightmare. Only, for the children's sake, I was anxious that my death should look like an accident, and that Jacques should have no part in it. That was why your plan of a walk on the cliff suited me. A fall from the top of a cliff seems quite natural. Jacques therefore left me to go to his cabin, from which he was to join you later at the Trois Mathildes. On the way, below the terrace, he dropped the key of the cabin. I went down and began to look for it with him, and it happened then, through your fault. Yes, Germain, through your fault. Jacques's pocketbook had slipped from his jacket without his noticing it, and, together with the pocketbook, a photograph, which I recognized at once. A photograph taken this year of myself and my two children. I picked it up and I saw... You know what I saw, Germaine. Instead of my face, the face in the photograph was yours. You had put in your likeness, Germaine, and blotted me out. It was your face. One of your arms was round my elder daughter's neck, and the younger was sitting on your knees. It was you, Germaine, the wife of my husband, the future mother of my children, you who were going to bring them up, you, you... Then I lost my head. I had the dagger. Jack was stooping. I stabbed him. Every word of her confession was strictly true. Those who listened to her felt this profoundly. 
and nothing could have given Hortense and Renine a keener impression of tragedy. She had fallen back into her chair, utterly exhausted. Nevertheless, she went on speaking unintelligible words, and it was only gradually by leaning over her that they were able to make out. I thought that there would be an outcry and that I should be arrested, but no, it happened in such a way and under such conditions that no one had seen anything. Further, Jacques had drawn himself up at the same time as myself, and he actually did not fall. No, he did not fall. I had stabbed him, and he remained standing. I saw him from the terrace to which I had returned. He had hung his jacket over his shoulders, evidently to hide his wound, and he moved away without staggering, or staggering so little that I alone was able to perceive it. He even spoke to some friends who were playing cards. Then he went to his cabin and disappeared. In a few moments, I came back indoors. I was persuaded that all of this was only a bad dream, that I hadn't killed him, or that, at worst, the wound was a slight one. Jacques would come out again, I was certain of it. I watched from my balcony. If I had thought for a moment that he needed assistance, I should have flown to him. But truly, I didn't know, I didn't guess. People speak of presentiments, there are no such things. I was perfectly calm, just as one is after a nightmare of which the memory is fading away. No, I swear to you, I knew nothing. Until the moment... She interrupted herself, stifled by sobs. Renine finished her sentence for her. Until the moment when they came and told you, I suppose. Therese stammered. Yes. It was not until then that I was conscious of what I had done. And I felt that I was going mad, and that I should cry out to all these people, Why, it was I who did it. Don't search. Here's the dagger. I'm the culprit. Yes, I was going to say that, when suddenly I caught sight of my poor Jacques. They were carrying him along. His face was very peaceful, very gentle. And in his presence, I understood my duty, as he understood his. He had kept silent for the sake of the children. I would be silent, too. We were both guilty of the murder of which he was the victim, and we must both do all we could to prevent the crime from recoiling upon them. He had seen this clearly in his dying agony. He had had the amazing courage to keep his feet, to answer the people who spoke to him, and to lock himself up to die. He had done this, wiping out all his faults with a single action, and in so doing he granted me his forgiveness, because he was not accusing me, and was ordering me to hold my peace, and to defend myself against everybody Especially against you, Germaine. She uttered these last words more firmly, at first wholly overwhelmed by the unconscious act which she had committed in killing her husband. She had recovered her strength a little in thinking of what she had done and in defending herself with such energy. Faced by the intriguing woman whose hatred had driven both of them to death and crime, she clenched her fists, ready for the struggle, all quivering with resolution. Germaine Estaing did not flinch. She had listened without a word, with a relentless expression which grew harder and harder as Therese's confessions became precise. No emotion seemed to soften her, and no remorse to penetrate her being. At most, towards the end, her thin lips shaped themselves into a faint smile. She was holding her prey in her clutches. Slowly, with her eyes raised to a mirror, she adjusted her hat and powdered her face— then she walked to the door. Therese darted forward. Where are you going? Where I choose. 
to see the examining magistrate? Very likely. You shan't pass. As you please, I'll wait for him here. And you'll tell him what? Why, all that you've said, of course. All that you've been silly enough to say. How could he doubt the story? You've explained it all to me so fully. Therese took her by the shoulders. Yes, but I'll explain other things to him at the same time, Germaine. Things that concern you. If I'm ruined, so shall you be. You can't touch me. I can expose you. Show your letters. What letters? Those in which my death was decided on? Lies, Therese. You know that famous plot exists only in your imagination. Neither Jacques nor I wished for your death. You did, at any rate. Your letters condemn you. Lies. They are the letters of a friend to a friend. Letters of a mistress to her paramour. Prove it. There they are, in Jacques's pocketbook. No, they're not. What's that you say? I say that those letters belong to me. I've taken them back, or rather, my brother has. You've stolen them, you wretch, and you shall give them back again, cried Therese, shaking her. I haven't them. My brother kept them. He's gone. Therese staggered and stretched out her hands to Renine with an expression of despair. Renine said, What she says is true. I watched the brother's proceedings while he was feeling in your bag. He took out the pocketbook, looked through it with his sister, came and put it back again, and went off with the letters. Renine paused and added, or at least with five of them. The two women moved closer to him. What did he intend to convey? If Frédéric Astin had taken away only five letters, what had become of the sixth? I suppose, said Renine, that when the pocketbook fell on the shingle, that sixth letter slipped out at the same time as the photograph, and that Monsieur Dormeval must have picked it up, for I found it in the pocket of his blazer, which had been hung up near the bed. Here it is. It's signed Germain Astin, and it is quite enough to prove the writer's intentions and the murderous counsels which she was pressing upon her lover. Madame Astin had turned grey in the face and was so much disconcerted that she did not try to defend herself. Renine continued, addressing his remarks to her. To my mind, madame, you are responsible for all that happened. Penniless, no doubt, and at the end of your resources, you tried to profit by the passion with which you inspired Monsieur Dormeval in order to make him marry you, in spite of all the obstacles, and to lay your hands upon his fortune. I have proofs of this greed for money and these abominable calculations, and can supply them if need be. A few minutes after I had felt in the pocket of that jacket, you did the same. I had removed the sixth letter, but had left a slip of paper which you looked for eagerly, and which also must have dropped out of the pocketbook. It was an uncrossed check for a hundred thousand francs, drawn by Monsieur Dormeval in your brother's name, just a little wedding present, what we might call pin money. Acting on your instructions, your brother dashed off by motor to Le Havre to reach the bank before four o'clock. I may as well tell you that he will not have cashed the check, for I had a telephone message sent to the bank to announce the murder of Monsieur Dormeval, which stops all payments. The upshot of all this is that the police, if you persist in your schemes of revenge, will have in their hands all the proofs that are wanted against you and your brother. I might add, as an edifying piece of evidence, the story of the conversation which I overheard between your brother and yourself in a dining car on the railway between Brest and Paris a fortnight ago. But I feel sure that you will not drive me to adopt these extreme measures and that we understand each other. Isn't that so? 
Natures like Madame Estaing's, which are violent and headstrong so long as a fight is possible, and while a gleam of hope remains, are easily swayed in defeat. Germain was too intelligent not to grasp the fact that the least attempt at resistance would be shattered by such an adversary as this. She was in his hands. She could but yield. She therefore did not indulge in any play-acting, nor in any demonstration such as threats, outbursts of fury, or hysterics. She bowed. We are agreed, she said. What are your terms? Go away. If ever you are called upon for your evidence, say that you know nothing. She walked away. At the door she hesitated and then, between her teeth, said, The check. Renine looked at Madame Dormeval, who declared, Let her keep it. I would not touch that money. When Renine had given Thérèse Dormeval precise instructions as to how she was to behave at the enquiry and to answer the questions put to her, he left the chalet accompanied by Hortense Daniel. On the beach below, the magistrate and the public prosecutor were continuing their investigations, taking measurements, examining the witnesses, and generally laying their heads together. "'When I think,' said Hortense, "'that you have the dagger and Monsieur Dormeval's pocketbook on you.' "'And it strikes you as awful dangerous, I suppose,' he said, laughing. "'It strikes me as awfully comic.' "'Aren't you afraid? Of what? "'That they might suspect something? "'Lord, they won't suspect a thing. "'We shall tell those good people what we saw, "'and our evidence will only increase their perplexity, "'for we saw nothing at all.' For prudence's sake, we will stay a day or two to see which way the wind is blowing, but it's quite settled. They will never be able to make head or tail of the matter. Nevertheless, you guessed the secret, and from the first. Why? Because, instead of seeking difficulties where none exist, as people generally do, I always put the question as it should be put, and the solution comes quite naturally. A man goes to his cabin and locks himself in. Half an hour later, he is found inside, dead. No one has gone in. What has happened? To my mind, there is only one answer. There's no need to think about it. As the murder was not committed in the cabin, it must have been committed beforehand, and the man was already mortally wounded when he entered his cabin. And forthwith, the truth in this particular case appeared to me. Madame Dormeval, who was to have been killed this evening, forestalled her murderers, and while her husband was stooping to the ground, in a moment of frenzy, stabbed him in the back. There was nothing left to do but look for the reasons that prompted her action. When I knew them, I took her part unreservedly. That's the whole story. The day was beginning to wane. The blue of the sky was becoming darker, and the sea even more peaceful than before. What are you thinking of? asked Renine after a moment. I am thinking, she said, that if I too were the victim of some machination, I should trust you whatever happened, trust you through and against all. I know, as certainly as I know that I exist, that you would save me, whatever the obstacles might be. There is no limit to the power of your will. He said, very softly, There is no limit to my wish to please you. <laughs>